So last week we read the, we asked you guys to read the entire book of Philippians together in your DNA group, or with other people, or by yourself, whatever. Um, I would encourage you to keep reading it in its entirety every week over the duration of this series. You know, it's four chapters. You can read a chapter a day, but just keep soaking in it as we're learning and walking through this passage or this book together. Um, that being said, though, I would love to hear a couple of things uh, from a couple of y'all, of uh, maybe something you've been chewing on since the, uh, last week, something that your DNA group talked about that really stuck with you, or a theme that you picked up that the Holy Spirit just kind of impressed upon you as we read the whole book together. So is anyone willing to kind of share uh, one of their takeaways from reading the book of Philippians? What, is there a, a theme, like, what are just a couple of, like, words that come to mind of things that we've noticed in this book? Yeah, Michaela mentions that he talks a lot about how much he loves the Philippians. What's another word or thing that you picked up on? Sadie? Gratitude. Peace. Yes, we got love, gratitude, peace. Anything else? Joy. I mean, it's a pretty positive letter overall, right? Like, um, so, okay. Um, so I really want to just, we're going to take a little bit of time today to unpack um, the first 11 verses. So remember that this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And it's clear, we've already said it's clear that he has positive feelings towards this church. He's got a lot of joy and thanksgiving for them. Um, so let's back up, though, and get a little bit of context into their relationship, how this church begins, why he has joy and thanksgiving for these people, what is their relationship, what does that look like? So for that, we're going to go back to uh, the book of Acts. Acts 16 is the birth story of this church. So I'm going to kind of summarize it for us. We're not going to read through Acts 16, but... Write it down. Check it out for yourselves this week. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. So check out Acts 16 on your own later this week. But I'm going to summarize it for us and kind of walk through their backstory. So in Acts 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he has got a plan. He thinks he knows where he and his team are going. Um, he knows that he, he has an idea of the towns he wants to go to, the people he wants to see. And yet somehow those doors keep getting shut for him. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit kept them from entering where they were trying to go. We don't know exactly what that means, but Paul knew that the Holy Spirit was preventing him from going where he wants to go. Um, and then one night, Paul sees a vision um, of a man begging him to come to Macedonia. Paul is listening for the Holy Spirit, and he obeys when he hears. Acts 16 actually says he called immediately for Macedonia, concluding that God had called him and his team to preach the gospel there. So changes his plans, heads to Macedonia. Paul was an experienced and courageous servant of God with a clear call. He knew what he was supposed to do with the rest of his life. He knew that he was to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. Yet, even he was not spared the need to listen and carefully follow the voice of God above any of his own personal plans. 
any of his own dreams for his ministry, no matter how big and sincere they might have been, they weren't his, it wasn't his ministry. It was always God's ministry. It was always his, uh, he knew to have the posture of listening to paying attention to the direction of the Holy Spirit above anything else that he desired. So that's Paul, and we think that that's the same thing for us, guys. That is the same thing. The way God chooses to lead us as his servant is by bringing us into total dependence upon God. And he does this sometimes by shutting down some ideas, by shutting down some opportunities that we have, by some shutting down some desires that we have. This is because he always knows better. He always knows better than we do. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what we don't, what we can't see. He knows. So Paul didn't try to kick down the door and go his own way. Paul willingly gave up his original route and his plans, and he accepted God's choice to redirect him to Macedonia. So he was being led by God's hand to places God and his sovereign wisdom had already prepared. So we reflect on Paul's journey in Acts, and earlier this week we read the letter to the Philippians. And for me, I think uh, I think sometimes we think, well, that's how God interacted back then, right? Um, that's how he interacted with those characters. But that's not true. Because if we pay attention, we'll notice that God is sovereignly guiding our lives too. You know, almost 12 years ago, Matt and I were moving out of our Portland home. And we were, the plan was for us to move to Austin. I mean, he was transferring with his company. I had left my job. Our house was on the market. Our family knew what we were doing. We had our goodbyes in order. Like, that was the plan. And then one month before we were supposed to move, Matt's boss tells him, we actually need you to move to Dallas. And, like, we are all for, for people in here. So, like, you guys should all understand the collective, like, pain and grief of, what? Dallas? Dallas? I'm not moving to Dallas. Um, so my response is, well, sorry. We're going to take the house off the market. You need to just find a new job. Like, we're not going. I'm not moving to Dallas. Um, and that's a true story. And there was a lot of, like, <laughs> there was a lot of intervention from Matt's boss and other people to uh, get us here. And so obviously you can see, needless to say, um, we ended up moving to Fort Worth. Uh, we're here, and we're here now, but that was not our plan, and that was not our intention. And honestly, that was a really hard year. Um, that was a really hard season. Because I didn't recognize God's sovereignty in that moment. Or if I'm being honest, I didn't want to recognize it. Um, but it was without a shadow of a doubt the work of the Holy Spirit. I know that he diverted our plans for his better plan. I know that because I have learned that I can trust him. So back to Paul, and where the Church of Philippi comes into this on his journey. So he's journeying to Macedonia, and his first stop is Philippi, which is a new place for Paul. So Paul gets there, he looks for a place of prayer, and there he meets Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman who sold purple cloth. She hears Paul preach the gospel, and it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to his message. God opened Lydia's heart to believe, and then she opens her home for Paul and his team. 
And so then after that happens, after Lydia's conversion, Paul gets himself into some good trouble where um, he frees a demon-possessed girl, um, which is the right thing to do. Like, that's a good thing. But then, of course, the um, the officials and the owner of those girls at the time, you know, everybody gets mad about it, throws him in jail, um, where they get beaten and they're chained and they're, they're in prison. Well, then an earthquake hits. And the jailer who was asleep, awake, panicked because he thinks that his prisoners have left, is about to kill himself before Paul says, wait, stop. And he stopped. The man stopped because God has a different plan. The jailer realizes that Paul and Silas did not leave, and he rushes to them, and he says, what must I do to be saved? They share the gospel with this man who imprisoned them, and the jailer becomes a new believer. So the chapter ends with Paul and Silas being released, and then they head to Lydia's house to encourage the new church that has been formed in Philippi. And that's how the church of Philippi begins. That's their church plant story. Remember, Philippi wasn't even on Paul's radar. That was not his plan. But the church began with God leading the way to a woman who responds to the gospel in a way that propels her to open her home and begin a church, which would likely include the converted jailer. Men and women are in this together. The Church of Philippi was started by men and women together, and I love knowing the origin story of this church. So now this letter, the book of Philippians, it comes about 10 years later. Paul is in jail again, possibly in Rome, possibly in Ephesus. Um, but the primary purpose Paul had in mind in writing this letter seems to have been a pastoral part. He's writing to reassure them and to encourage them. He's writing with thanksgiving, with joy and love for these people. So with that backstory, let's read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 to us, and I'm going to read it out of my NIV Bible today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So in this passage, we have an introduction. And then we have this prayer, which is divided up into by a word of encouragement and a word of instruction. And so I want us to pay attention to what Paul is modeling for us to do, what difference this passage of Scripture makes to us today. 
So if we look at the first two verses, the introduction, Paul and Timothy, who we assume is the uh, transcriber of this, le- this letter, not actually the author, introduced themselves as servants of Jesus. Now, if I'm being honest, being called a servant doesn't excite me. I prefer other ways to describe my relationship to Jesus. I prefer um, descriptions like being a friend to Jesus, um, being a co-laborer to Jesus with Jesus, being family to Jesus. And those things are all good and true and right. But we are also called to be servants to King Jesus. And if I'm a servant, though, that means I have a master. And if I have a master, that means I'm under the authority of somebody else. And that's the part we don't like. But Paul, who is in prison, joyfully describes himself as a servant of King Jesus. And I point this out to say, just pay attention as we read through this entire book of Philippians. What overflows from him throughout this letter that starts from him in a posture of servant? That starts from a place of humble submission to Christ's authority. So he starts his letter. Everything that comes out of it is from that posture. So he starts his letter by first declaring who he is and then declaring who they are. What does he say that they are? Saint, he says they're saints in Christ. He doesn't mean they were saints in the way that we might be tempted to use the word today. He's not meaning a perfect person or someone who we think is just better than everybody else. Um, there's no way we could be like that person. That person is such a saint. When he calls them saints, he's saying God's set-apart people, the ones that are partners in the gospel. And he clarifies it by saying saints in Christ. They aren't declared saints by what they have done or what they will do or what they haven't done or what they won't do, but they're declared saints by what Christ has done for them. What, in Christ, what Christ will do through them. And so you are declared a saint by what Christ has done and will do through you as well. If you sit under the authority of Jesus, you are a saint in Christ because of what he has done and will do through you. So these first two verses are laying an important foundation. This continual emphasis of Christ's supreme and good authority. So then he goes on to bless them all with grace and peace, and then he moves into some words of encouragement. So verses 3 through 8, we can look at it as kind of like a time of encouragement for the Philippians. And Paul is full of gratitude for them, like serious gratitude, right? It's just oozing how much he loves these people. He is filled with joy every time he thinks of them. He carries them in his heart. Even when he is in chains in prison, he remembers with joy their partnership from the first day, he says. From the first day, remember how it started, to now. And he uses this term partnership. It's the Greek word koinonia, uh, which means a mutual fellowship of believers. And there's an aspect of finances involved in that partnership that later on in chapter 4 he addresses. Um, the Philippians had sent money to take care of him. 
but they see that they're partners together. They're in this family business together. There's mutual love and respect for one another. There's mutual participation in gospel work and getting the gospel to others and seeking to be kingdom-minded people who live with the hope of being an expression of heaven here on earth that pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is what the church is meant to be even today. We here today, saints in Christ, are meant to be an expression of heaven on earth, of new creation breaking in. It is so important that we see each other as partners of the gospel. And Paul's going to spend much of this book helping shape and encourage the Philippians and encourage us as partners. So what I want to do right now is take a moment and just ask you, what are you grateful for? Who among this team of people, this gathering group here right now, or your DNA group, or the people that aren't here today but are with us and committed to us and committed to this gospel partnership at Salt Lake, who are you thankful for? I know this might feel a little bit cheesy to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I like to do this at my own home. I want to hear from some of you. How, what, what uh, gratitude is the Holy Spirit overflowing from you for someone here, someone who is part of Salt and Light? And I'll start by saying, I sat there so full of gratitude for Charlotte and Travis coming up here and saying a blessing over my son. That fills me with thanksgiving to be part of this community of people. Does somebody else want to share something that the Holy Spirit is just filling them with gratitude for somebody else? Well, what I want to do is encourage all of you. Hopefully somebody came to mind. Um, and I understand it, it can be awkward to speak out loud for a large group of people um, in this setting, and that's okay. But follow the Holy Spirit's prompting in that and follow up with that. Share it with that person. Um, I think that's something that we, we need to continually remember and give thanks for one another. And Paul, Paul models that really well for us. Um, okay, so let's keep going, and uh, we're going to jump into verse 6 right now. I think it's one of the most powerful uh, pieces of encouragement in God's Word. Uh, so you can follow on Philippians 1, 6. It says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This tells us that God begins and God finishes. He doesn't just start things and walk away. Nor does he just swoop in at the end and fix our messes, right? Um, he is the beginner of the good work in our lives. And we can trust that he is the one who will complete it, too. We can look at this encouragement in layers, looking at it first as the transformative gospel work in an individual's life, and then considering the good work that is the mission of God. So think about this. He who began a good work in you will carry it through. Right? Sometimes that is really hard to believe, right? Um, I sometimes maybe I've made too many wrong turns, too many bad choices. Maybe I haven't cared enough, believed enough, prayed enough, asked too many questions, struggled with doubt. I mean, the, we can go for so many reasons why we think God has forgotten or God has left me or given up on me. But that is foolish talk. God doesn't just begin a good work, but we can count on him to see his good work through. The God who created this world is at work in you. 
that is incredible. And that doesn't mean that it's easy, right? Um, it doesn't mean that there won't be suffering or confusion or questions or hard times, but it does mean that we can always trust God. And we can trust God because we are loved by God. And he is the one who began the good work in us. And remember, Paul is writing to the church. So while I think he does mean the transformative work of the gospel in, in each of our own lives, this is not a private faith. It is not individual work that we are called to. It is a partnership in the mission of God. So what I think Paul is saying to the Philippians, and I think what it means to us today, is he will make this world his good work what he intended to be. God will complete what he began. And we are partners, co-laborers in this mission. The gospel doesn't start with the fall. It starts with creation, when God began his good work. We, as image bearers of God, were intended to live with God forever, to be representatives of his kingdom forever. Then there was rebellion and sin, but then there was Christ's finished work of redemption by his death and resurrection. But it doesn't even end there, because then there will be a fulfillment of God's promise to make all things new, so that we, as image bearers, can do what we were once intended to do, which is to dwell with God, to delight in a relationship with him, to bring glory to the King, who is Jesus. That's the good work that God will one day complete. And also, while we are here, living in the in-between, we get to partner with God to bring glimpses of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we do that? And that's what I think, look at what Paul is getting at, um, the rest of his prayer for the Philippians, in verses 9 through 11. So remember, first he starts his prayer with, from a place of thanksgiving and remembrance. And then he intercedes and asks uh, God for things on their behalf. And what does he ask for? He prays that their love would abound in knowledge and discernment, that they would be sincere and blameless, and that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness or right living. So this love he calls them to, it's agape love. It's sacrificial love but that it would grow in knowledge and discernment. And I find this so interesting, because when I consider what I think I need to love well, that list is things like patience and humility um, and joy and maybe money and time, you know, and like a, a willingness, a happy heart, honestly, you know. Um, but that's not what Paul says for love to abound. He says Paul's praying for knowledge and discernment. We need those things to love well also. Love responds to what is needed, but we need knowledge to pay attention to know what is needed. Love responds from a place of discernment to be able to know where love is missing and to know where love needs to break in. We need wisdom to practically know how best to love others. There's one commentator I read about this. He pointed out that most of the choices that believers face are not necessarily like between morally good and morally evil, uh, but they're between things of lesser value and greater value. So we pray for God to give us the discernment 
to value the things that he values, to give us knowledge of God himself so that we know his heart, so that we know how he loves, so that he knows the people that he cares for, the people that are lost, the forgotten, and marginalized. And we also need to know knowledge of one another so that we can love in ways that are actually meaningful, that we're actually helping, that we're actually loving. And that's going to come from knowledge. The things that we choose to love reflect how discerning our love really is. So the things that we choose to love, that reflects how discerning our love really is. And our desire should be to love and rhythm with the love of God. The Holy Spirit's guidance. Christ's love is to be our love. And finally, Paul ends by reminding them that the fruit of righteousness that this love produces, it comes through Jesus. And this is important because we don't produce this life, this life of love that abounds. Jesus does. And Paul reminds them of that because it's not easy. We're not going to abound in love, be sincere and blameless, because we try really hard. We might get somewhere for a little while, right? Um, but it's hard. It's too hard. We're going to grow weary and exhausted, lose motivation, not care, get burned out. But God, who began a good work in us, he is the one who changes our hearts and produces in us love that abounds. So this righteousness, this right living, and its fruit come to us through Jesus, not as a result of our own good deeds. And this passage is meaningful to me in a way that kind of threads this all together for us. A few months ago when I taught on the importance of Scripture, I mentioned how there were a couple of women in my life that had a big impact on me years ago. And one of them actually gave me this Bible over 20 years ago. And in it, um, she actually highlighted verses 9 through 11. And she actually wrote it in the very front of my my Bible. And she gave it to me. This Bible has been through everything. She actually wrote Philippians 1, 9 through 11. She prayed that over me. So God, who began a good work in me, who is still working in me, gave me a glimpse of that this week. And it's not lost on me that this, this woman, her name was, was Becky, um, that she prayed these verses for me. That over 20 years ago, there was someone interceding for me on my behalf, praying these very verses over me. So what I want to encourage us to do is to pray these verses for one another. Pray these verses for our church. Pray them for each other, for your DNA group, for the kids. There's so many kids, and I love it. Pray these verses for them. I was a kid, essentially, when she prayed these verses over me. It's not a coincidence that you are here, that we are here together. It's not a coincidence that my path down, back down to Texas ended up this way. We have different stories. We have different paths that we have all taken. We have different ways that have led us here. It may have felt random and weird, confusing. Maybe it was exciting. Um, or maybe you're on the fence and you just don't even know what's going on. Um, maybe you've got questions and doubts. All of that's okay, but you're here. Maybe you didn't expect this. I definitely don't think 
any of us expected for God to build a church with a group of people during a global pandemic, especially one who starts on a computer screen. But here we are. God had plans for Paul and the Philippians. God has plans for you and for us here at Salt and Light. So let's seize all of this, everything that we do, as God's work, that we are encouraged and invited to partnering together. Who knows what God has for us? Who knows? Let's pray for one another and be thankful for one another. Encourage one another in this partnership that we share because of the gospel. So as we take communion now, can you get your cups out? We remember our partnership in the gospel, our partnership together, but we remember that it started because Jesus loved us first. So, take and eat, and also take and drink, and remember his love for you, but no greater love than the one who laid down his life for you. Take and I'm going to pray this passage over us now. Father, I thank you for this group of people that have gathered together. I thank you for the good work that you have started in us and that you are doing in us and that you will complete. And God, right now I ask that, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we would be able to discern what is best that we may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes only from you and through you. The glory and praise of you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.